Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Friends, thanks so much for being here. We're delighted to learn today with Dr. Matt Reingold, York University 2014, who teaches Jewish, universe, Jewish history and Jewish philosophy at Tenenbaum Chat. He lives in Toronto, Canada. His primary research interests are Jewish and Israeli graphic narratives and Israel education. He's the author of Gender and Sexuality in Israeli Graphic Novels, published by uh, Religion in 2021, and Re-Envisioning Israel Through Political Cartoons, Visual Discourses During the 2018 to 2021 Electoral Crisis, published by Lexington in 2022. We are excited to have you all here with us. And uh, Dr. Reingold, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Rabbi Shmuley. Um, Lauren Blatt, I love it. Canadian flag, me too. Um, that's so exciting um, to have at least one other Canadian. Um, so I'm going to share my screen um, and go full screen. Is that, that's working? Okay, awesome. So the title for the session that I'm giving today um, is Corona Exegesis, Political Cartoons, Jewish Holidays, and Israeli Society. And this comes out of one of the chapters of the book that Shmuley mentioned that I published this past February um, about Israeli political cartoons. And this project began really about a year and a half ago when I started thinking about political cartoons. I had just done some writing on Israeli graphic novels and was looking for something new to begin to study. And I shifted away from longer form narratives and started thinking about political cartoons. And unlike graphic novels, which are very much in vogue these days, and there's tons of scholarship coming out about graphic novels, about everything. Um, political cartoons in general are an understudied form of visual communication. And the Israeli case is no exception. And part of the reason why they're understudied is that they're extremely short texts, often only a single panel. They are at least pre the last decade, not easily accessible um, because they were often located only in newspapers or on certain newspapers' websites. And if you didn't pay for subscription, you couldn't access. Today, it's a li little bit easier because many cartoonists are publishing their work on their own social media channels. Um, the Israeli case, with the exception really of this character who I put up on the screen, whose name is Shrulik, um, there's been very little written about Israeli political cartoons. And I wanted to write about Israeli political cartoons over the last few years. And as bookends to my study, I used the fall of the Netanyahu government in December 2018 and the establishment of the Bennett-Lapid government in June 2021. Um, and I chose those as my markers because 
I decided to, instead of focusing on a single cartoonist or a single newspaper, I instead wanted to understand how cartoonists from different religious, political, ethnic communities approached common topics. And what that involved, um, and I'll go back to that, was looking at 10 newspapers, 21 different cartoonists, and 4,500 cartoons. And I looked at cartoons produced in left-wing newspapers, right-wing newspapers, modern orthodox or Dati Laumi, um, business newspapers, Haredi newspapers, ultra-orthodox newspapers, um, and cartoonists who also choose to not be employed at newspapers and instead just publish political cartoons on their own um, for a variety of reasons, like they didn't, one in particular didn't want editorial oversight. He wanted to be able to do his own thing. Um, the way that I gathered data was from newspaper websites, social media accounts, um, the newspaper social media accounts. I also interviewed 15 of the 21 cartoonists. Um, and what, the book was really about was trying to understand how Israeli political cartoonists responded to the national challenges during a really, really tense period. And we're going to talk about all of the things that happened in a moment. And not just what did they create, but how has political cartoons provided an opportunity for these individuals to creatively reimagine their own country? And political cartoons as a text, um, when I mentioned earlier that they are understudied, part of what makes them as well understudied is that they are extremely loaded images. And the reason why is, why scholars refer to it that way is because they are complex texts that critique or comment on something happening in a society. Unlike a photograph, which depicts an event as is, or at least from where the photographer is standing, political cartoons operate more like editorials. They are carefully constructed social commentary. They are built using images and words and almost always are single paneled. Because of their brevity, political cartoons are considered dense texts, loaded with references to current events, pop culture, history, and religion. Every item, even including the coloring, should be understood as a purposeful choice made by the artist. And because they are chock full of references to current events, pop culture, history, religion, many other things, if one is not an insider of the culture that the cartoonist is operating from, it can make the cartoon either very difficult to understand or lead to misunderstandings, which is why, unlike graphic novels, for example, which often get translated and you'll find examples of American writers writing about texts translated from Japanese, um, political cartoons, absent all of the context that's breaking down the image, to just translate the text bubble will often not lead to an understanding of what's actually going on in the panel. And Israel during this time period um, 
was like every other country in the world affected by coronavirus. Um, COVID, of course, begins in um, America, really becomes more of a thing in North America in March 2020. I remember that's when my school began the process of shifting to online. Um, in Israel, it was about three to four weeks earlier when the pandemic really became um, something that was newsworthy. But during this period between 28, December 2018 through June 2021, Israel held the most elections of any country in the world. It held four elections. When government fell in December 2018, it would be followed by four elections in order to try to establish government. Um, it is now heading towards another election that already my book, in a certain sense, um, had I waited a year, I could have talked about the fall of the next government. Um, but during that period, there were also many political issues. Um, the prime minister at the time, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, is currently both campaigning for re-election while also being under indictment for um, breach of trust and misuse of public office. Um, and what I want to be sharing with all of you today is one chapter from the book that is all about COVID cartoonists. And what I began to see as I started looking at all of these 4,500 cartoons was that a number of cartoons began thinking about how Jewish holidays, how Chagim could be interpreted in new ways through a lens or prism of the COVID pandemic. And what I hope to show over the next 25 minutes or so um, is about eight different cartoons by a number of different cartoonists and talking about some of their work and how their work um, not only illustrates the holiday, but leads to new thinking about the holiday itself. Um, I'm just catching up on the chat. That's a lot of Canadians here. Um, Lauren, I'm also in Toronto. Um, the first cartoonist that I want to look at, and I'm choosing to start with um, Shai Charka, because Shai is by far the most prolific um, religious. And when I say religious, I mean Dati Laumi, religious nationalist political cartoonist in the country. He is also one of the most published um, graphic novelists in the country. Um, Charka illustrates for the newspaper Makori Shon, which is a religious nationalist newspaper. And in any given week in the weekly newspaper, he'll have anywhere between one to seven cartoons on a weekly basis. Um, he's also published um, autobiographical cartoons of his experiences living um, in his home community of Tzofim in the West Bank, um, along with many other religiously inspired texts like Weekly Parsha, um, graphic novel designed for kids using a character that he's created. Um, but over the course of the pandemic, what really becomes clear in Sharka's work is that he is performing what I've come to call visual exegesis, visual commentary, by illustrating the Jewish prayers in new and different ways, in ways that differ from their original context. And in doing so, they introduce a new way to understand classical texts. 
Charka is certainly not the first to do this. Um, in his analysis of medieval Jewish Haggadot and prayer books, um, Mar the scholar Mark Michael Epstein has noted that illuminated Haggadot, so these beautifully illustrated, um, often with gold and silver um, paint, add a further level of nuance and sophistication to the ritual. Um, these magnificent books do not merely illustrate the Haggadah or the biblical Exodus story, but, says Epstein, through the images they can contain, they generate a meta-narrative. And that's what we can see when we look at Charka's cartoons as well. Um, one of the first cartoons that Charka would publish is this, and it is from... Um, the first year of the pandemic. So we are in spring 2020. And Charka's first pandemic cartoon um, contains what has really become a pattern in his COVID cartoons. Um, he illustrates himself. He illustrates a coronavirus molecule that if not already familiar to Israelis by um, spring 2020, by the time he's continuing to publish COVID cartoons in December 2021, it's very clear to all Israelis what this is. Along with a pasuk, either from the Torah, from the Sidur, um, the prayer book, or from traditional religious texts. Um, and that somehow all of these things are going to coalesce together um, into some type of statement about the holiday. And his first example appeared in Makori Shon in April 2020. In this cartoon, Charka has illustrated himself as an Israelite slave departing Egypt. Um, and here he is, he's walking, he has his rucksack, um, very clever. Charka draws that the um, staff that's holding the parcel is a paintbrush. Um, he is clearly dressed as an Egyptian. He has an Egyptian headdress. Um, he has some type of Egyptian garment on. Um, and of course, in the background, we have the Sphinx, um, but replacing the pharaoh's head is the COVID molecule. Um, at the top up here, um, it says, In every generation, an individual is supposed to see themselves as if they personally have left Egypt. This is a text from the Talmud. Um, and it is said during the Haggadah, during the Pesach Seder, and is said right at the beginning of the Passover holiday. Its significance within the holiday's literature cannot be understated, because it is what drives the observance of the holiday's rituals. Seeing oneself as if they have left Egypt is a physical and psychological experience that requires people to think and act as if they too experienced the bondage associated with slavery. Charka's Pesach cartoon from 2020 provides a commentary on this traditional text, signifying that for Charka, parallels exist between the biblical period of slavery and the experience of being forced into quarantine and isolation. Passover 2020 was the first of the Jewish holidays to necessitate lockdown measures with Israelis unable to celebrate the holiday as they had grown accustomed to in previous years. At this juncture in time, just like here, the pandemic was in its first wave, 
And in order to prevent individuals from participating in large family holiday meals, the Israeli government mandated that citizens could not travel more than 100 meters from their homes. This was uncharted waters for Israelis, especially its religious ones. Charka's cartoon intimates that having to learn how to navigate the holiday separately from extended family was a painful experience, akin to how the Israelites suffered in Egypt. The parallel is, of course, not exact, but what is accomplished through it is an opportunity to recognize how very different Passover 2020 would be, requiring recalibration, reorientation towards a holiday where suffering and redemption already play a prominent position in the liturgy. Charka's illustration also visually highlights how the rabbinic text is not about being in Egypt, but about leaving Egypt. The rhetoric in the Israeli press throughout this time period revolved around temporary closures in order to have a more rapid reopening. The painful process of slavery allows for greater appreciation of liberation. In his illustration, Charka positions himself walking away from the Sphinx. He appears not headed into lockdown, but away from lockdown, following the rules Experiencing a different and painful Passover would allow for Israelis to not only return to normal more quickly, but to have newfound awareness of what it means to have gone from slavery to freedom. In the weeks following Passover, Israel did gradually begin to reopen some of its schools and businesses. Synagogues were once again allowed to hold services with attendance restrictions in place, and beaches and museums were opened by the middle of spring 2020. By July 2020, however, positive case numbers began increasing, and all nationwide attempts to halt the virus from spreading were unsuccessful. In early September, Israel had the highest per capita rates of COVID infections in the world. Much like the spring lockdown, Israel's government timed the fall lockdown to coincide with the ho upcoming holidays of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, in order to try to minimize further spread at a time when Jewish Israelis frequently visit friends and family. This second wave of the coronavirus pandemic necessitated for Charka a new thought process towards the pandemic and what was happening in his country. For the September 2020 holiday of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he illustrates himself praying outside while wearing his talit, his prayer shawl. Social distancing is clearly in effect as we have a group of men standing very far apart from each other. Um, Charka is wearing his um, non-leather shoes and his talit. Um, like his Passover cartoon, coronavirus is included again. But here it covers the entirety of the cartoon, serving as the sky and the air that surrounds the worshippers. The title of the cartoon is Our Father, Our King, which is the title of one of Yom Kippur's prayers in which petitioners beseech God for health and welfare. Charka illustrates himself deep in concentration. His eyes are closed. His face is directed skyward as he says two verses of the prayer out loud. He asks God to annul all tough decrees and to prevent the manifestation of plagues. Um, Lenore, I'll come back to that question in a moment. Happy to. Um, likely, I would, I would argue likely it has to do with 
um, some type of desire to like get into the spirit of Passover, that there are some people who have the custom that on the night of Passover, that they dress up not necessarily as an Egyptian, but in clothes that the Jews would have worn at that time. And it's something that some families still do today. Um, and I think that he's trying to really show himself as if he is leaving Egypt in parallel to today of leaving the pandemic that we follow the rules, we get out of this, we've had this Egypt experience in a new way. And then we go back and resume life. Um, because at that time he, like everyone else was very naive about how long everything would last for. Red in light of the coronavirus pandemic, this first bubble, um, includes an internal contradiction. Charka is asking God to both make restrictive lockdown rules disappear and for the virus to go away. He asks God to gather um, or annul all of the evil, bad decrees and get rid of the plague. This speech bubble, which is coming out of the sky, um, is... Charka's attempt to avoid drawing God, that's as a Dati religious cartoonist, the idea of drawing God is not an option for Charka. Instead, um, he draws a cartoon bubble heading skywards. And in this cartoon bubble, um, God is saying to Charka, Tachlitu, you decide, oh, oh, you can either have this or you can have that. If you want the if you want the tough restrictions, and here when we're talking about tough restrictions, this is not the evil, wicked decrees of bad things happening to you. These are the, the unfortunate decrees that the government has made. If you want to get rid of them, you can get rid of them. But if you do that, you're not going to get rid of the plague, the coronavirus pandemic. If you want to get rid of the coronavirus pandemic, you have to keep the restrictions in place. The heavenly voice is issuing a challenge back to Charka about the spread of the virus. God is responding to Charka that at this moment, Charka can only have one of the options because if the rules are rescinded, the virus will continue. Conversely, if the virus is to abate, the rules must remain in force. Charka's illustration of religious nationalist Israelis modifying their prayer rituals, distancing themselves from each other, makes clear the choice that Charka has made, and that he believes that members of his community have made. They are choosing to separate themselves, and we'll see more of this separation in the next cartoon. In this Yom Kippur cartoon, Charka is opaque about who in Israel might be choosing to try to have both options at the same time. But illustrated a week later in Makor Rishon, October 11th, 2020, he makes it clear that it is with Israel's ultra-Orthodox Haredi community that his frustration lies. This cartoon was produced for the holiday of Simchat Torah, which celebrates the completion of the yearly Torah reading cycle. One of the customs of the day is to sing and dance with the Torah in large gatherings. The dancing is done in close proximity to others, involves frequent physical contact. In his cartoon, Charka illustrates two dances, both taking place atop coronavirus molecules. In the foreground, a group of Dati religious nationalist Israelis, like Charka, are wearing masks dancing in a circle together while maintaining physical distance from each other. 
Instead of touching the Torah, passing it between each other, the Torah is resting on a table in the center of the dance circle. Conversely, Charka illustrates a group of unmasked Haredi men in the background. They are dancing as they would any other year, failing to modify their rituals and in turn failing to curb the spread of the COVID virus. Charka alludes to this failure by illustrating the molecules differently, with far fewer nodes. I don't know what other word we would call this, the legs that emerge out of the COVID molecule, um, far fewer in the one in the Dati, religious nationalist COVID molecule, than the one with the Haredi one. Thus symbolizing that there is a lesser degree of con- transmission and contagion among members of his own religious community. Charka's Yom Kippur and Sinclatura cartoons attest to the responsibility that humankind has for mitigating the spread of the pandemic. And this is done by safeguarding the health of themselves and the people around them, at least in Charka's opinion. When read together, the cartoons suggest that while prayer is important, it cannot come at the expense of taking responsibility for the well-being of oneself and of others. And that Sharka is, by illustrating Simchat Torah being celebrated differently, is suggesting that the holiday itself needed to evolve. As Israelis began preparing in December 2020 for Hanukkah, which commemorates the success of the Hasmonean revolt against the Seleucid Greeks, the Israeli government was beginning to usher in a new series of restrictions in response to rapidly increasing positive test rates. Much like the previous set of restrictions, these two were designed to curb social interactions at a time when Israelis would celebrate and gather in large groups. While the context and circumstances between the story of Hanukkah and COVID are very different, both provided Israeli political cartoonists ammo that they could use for comparison, because in both times, Jews were unable to gather and publicly practice Judaism and were forced to sequester. This low-hanging fruit, though, is not part of the Hanukkah story that Charka chose to illustrate. Instead, his cartoon made use of a story that has been preserved in the New Testament, where the Jewish leader Mattathias Matityahu slew a fellow Jew who was willing to offer a sacrifice to Greek gods, along with the Greek official who had demanded the sacrifice. Maccabees 1 then explains that before fleeing to the Judean caves, Matityahu declared that everyone who is loyal to the Jewish God should follow him and begin the revolt against the Seleucid king Antiochus IV. Charka's cartoon features a robed Benjamin Netanyahu standing atop a COVID molecule with an oversized Pfizer vaccine in his right hand. In the background, an elephant-shaped COVID virus labeled three for third wave, is barreling toward Netanyahu. Casting Netanyahu as the contemporary Mattathias emphasizes a specific message for Hanukkah 2020 that chooses to focus on the salvation offered by vaccines in order to end the 10-month period of tyranny of the pandemic. While politicians are generally absent in Charka's work, his decision to equate Netanyahu with Matityahu is a recognition of the important role that Netanyahu played in securing the vaccines. Read in light of the pandemic, Charka's message is quite clear, because at the top we have um, me, Hashem Eli, whoever is with God is with me. Um, he is casting um, Netanyahu almost as this religious figure that vaccination is a religious imperative, suggests Charka. Um, 
Read together as a series, Charka's cartoons provide insight into his own evolving relationship with COVID and how Israeli society responded to the challenges. There's a clear trajectory in which he first sees the pandemic as an inconvenience, something that makes Pesach in 2020 different, which perhaps even provides new perspective on the Jewish historical experience of slavery and redemption. But six months later, he's now frustrated with the continued presence of COVID and how individual and group choices have prevented celebrating holidays in the way he wants. With vaccination on the horizon in December 2020, he begins to see the end is near, and his attitude once again shifts to optimism. Read in this way, Charka's cartoons are not merely depictions of biblical or rabbinic passages. By selecting one passage over another, he is purposely creating commentary about the relationship between text, contemporary politics, and the observance of holidays. The prioritization of one text over another. Um, I'll talk about the elephant in a second. Um, the prioritization of one text over another allows for him to construct a meaning about how he is experiencing the pandemic in light of Jewish textual tradition. Um, the elephant, that's an, a really interesting question. I hadn't thought about it. Um, Netanyahu and Likud were very, very um, supportive of vaccines. Um, I always read the elephant as more um, from like images of like Greek conquests in which elephants were used in war for moving troops. Um, that I'm going to think about that, AJ. It's interesting. Um, the image itself is also interesting. And he writes um, at the bottom in Hebrew, a, um, a sort of um, tease to like what the inspiration behind the cartoon was. Um, there's a statue um, made by an Israeli named Boris Schatz, um, who was one of the earliest um, and most influential artists in Israel in the early, early 1900s, um, in which he, he carved Matityahu looking this way. Um, and so Charka is really tapping into um, more abstract, um, and by abstract, sorry, not abstract. He, Charka is tapping into less well-known texts because his audience is a more Jewishly educated audience. And I think that that's a really important part of what Sharka is doing, um, which is different than the next set of cartoons we're going to look at with our remaining time. Um, one of the things that was really interesting for me as researcher um, was discovering how many secular cartoonists, and when I say secular in Israel, secular Judaism in Israel is totally different than what it means to be secularly Jewish in North America. Um, and my own students always find it so fascinating to learn that like 90 something percent of self-identifying secular Jewish Israelis go to Pesach Seders and light Hanukkah candles and that like 70, 67 percent of them um, keep kosher homes. And so when we're talking about secular here, what is really intended by that um, is non-Orthodox, but also choosing to not identify as part of either of the conservative or reform movements. And this community in Israel represents a 
approximately um, just over 50% of the Jewish population of the country self-identify um, as this group. And the two holidays that got the most attention from secular cartoonists were Pesach and Hanukkah. And this is not particularly surprising because there is something similar about Pesach and Hanukkah as ritual heavy holidays that are celebrated in groups. That They are fun holidays um, in the sense that there is a lot to attract people to and to attract kids to. What the secular political cartoonists in Israel are going to highlight um, Unlike Charka, who's going to pick up on more um, obscure texts or texts that the average Jewish Israeli might not be familiar with, many of the secular cartoonists are going to go for the lines that are much more common and familiar to the average secular Jewish Israeli. And I'm going to look at three cartoons, one by Guy Morad, um, who works for the, let's call it centrist um, Yediot Achronot newspaper. And both Guy Morad and Shlomo Cohen of the right-wing Israel Hayom newspaper picked up on the Pesach Seder line, Ma nishtana halayla hazeh. What is different about this night from all other nights. Um, in the original text in the Haggadah, four answers are given on Seder night. We only eat matzah, unleavened bread, vegetables are dipped in liquids, bitter herbs are eaten, and people recline. But Morad and Cohen illustrate Pesach Seders that are very different answers, and they demonstrate the need to celebrate Pesach in a new way because of the pandemic. In Morad's cartoon, he illustrates an elderly man sitting by himself at his kitchen table, reading aloud from the Haggadah. Morad, my grade 12th grade students, all felt was the most, one of, they believed that he was the most impactful cartoonist that they saw examples of this year. He is exceptionally effective at conveying emotion and feeling in image through the use of color and shading, um, Many of them noted that he has positions, solitary animals, um, facial expressions are extremely powerful in Morad's work. And here we have this elderly man singing, why is this night different? And while the traditional answers remain applicable, the cartoon calls attention to the other ways the Passover is different. Morad explores how traditional texts can be used to make meaning during the pandemic. Here, the circumstances are not only that there is a global pandemic. Instead, Morad's choice to highlight the singular figure alone at the table recognizes the ways that Passover is one of the most widely celebrated holidays in Israel because of its emphasis on the family meal. Absent this communal experience, he has still chosen to mark the evening, but the experience is not the same. Morad alludes to this less than ideal difference to the use of muted shades, including the yellow light that is illuminating the man and casting dark shadows that obscure the viewer from being able to really see what's on his table or how he's been forced to celebrate the holiday differently by being alone. While also making use of this same text, we have Shlomo Cohen um, of the let's call it pro-Netanyahu Israel Hayom newspaper. It's a right-wing newspaper, but it was explicitly founded to be a pro-Likud newspaper by um, 
the American businessman Sheldon Adelstein. Um, and Shlomo Cohen offers a very different reading of Manishtana. Um, and here we have a grandfather and grandmother sitting together at one end of a large table. On the table in front of them is a Haggadah. The couple is staring at a laptop computer that is facing them as a young boy, presumably their grandson, is singing on screen, Why is Tonight Different? Shlomo Cohen's cartoon is not merely an illustration of Zoom satyrs. By engaging with the holiday's liturgy in a way that subverts its original purpose, he's highlighting the ways that Israelis have been forced to celebrate the holiday in new ways. The tones of Morad and Cohen's cartoons are different. While both frame their cartoons around the same text, Morad emphasizes the breakdown of family and rituals, while Cohen highlights the innovations that allow for these rituals to be preserved during the pandemic. Morad focuses on the loneliness and isolation that Israelis felt. Cohen is, while not necessarily positive, but having been published in a pro-Netanyahu paper, it is not negative or critical of a government that has rendered family celebrations impossible. It instead highlights new ways that Israelis are making the night different, while avoiding traces of negativity that might result in criticism. One final example, because I'm sensitive to time, um, comes from the un- affiliated cartoonist Michel Kishka. Kishka um, teaches cartooning at B'Tzalel um, Art Academy in Jerusalem. He is not interested in being part of a newspaper, um, so he can really just do his own thing, and he posts it all over social media. And the inspiration for Kishka's April 2020 cartoon is the Passover Seder plate. The Seder plate includes different items designed to symbolize a component at the top of, sorry, different, the Seder plate is designed to symbolize aspects of the Jewish experience in slavery. Kishka's Seder plate says at the top, um, What do we have on our plate, our Seder plate, of a closed or quarantined Pesach? And what makes his cartoon unique from the other examples that I've considered so far is that the answer to his question is dependent on verbal as opposed to visual prompts. This single panel is an illustration of a regular Seder plate with all of the regular food stuff present. Everything looks the way it's supposed to look. Um, and therefore, everything is the way that it exactly should be. But as one begins to work through the answers and the explanations that Kishka gives, each explanation is a reference to aspects of the pandemic. And he is reinterpreting each of the things on the Seder plate in light of the pandemic. So for example, the roasted egg is no longer a reference to the destruction of the temple, but to the egg shortage that has forced the country to import eggs from Europe at exorbitant prices. The matzah is no longer a symbol of the bread of affliction of slaves in Egypt, but is the bread of affliction of the poor Israelis suffering under the economic fallout from the pandemic. At first glance, the answer to Kishka's question is that nothing is different for Passover in 2020. Everything appears to be the same. The Seder plate is decorated almost like usual. As the viewer begins to work through the cartoon, what emerges is an understanding that despite looking the same, nothing is actually the same. 
Where Kishka's work differs from those of his fellow secular and religious cartoonists is an ideological shift that positions this year as entirely new and foreign. While it might look the same, trying to make it like previous years by putting a computer screen on a table or by looking forward to the next year's Pesach Seder negates the reality that everything is different now. And these differences necessitate a rereading of the holiday and what is being celebrated. Um, thanks, Janie. Um, as much as the physical symbols placed on the table convey the visit, visage of similarity, their essence and identity have shifted, resulting in a radical reimagining of the holiday, positioning it not as a holiday of the past, but as one that uses the iconography of the past to offer insight into struggling and surviving a pandemic in the 21st century. And just some conclusions. Writing about Israeli political cartoons, Ilan Danju has noted that without sufficient historical knowledge and cultural background, a cartoon's message becomes impenetrable. To those that do not recognize the actors or issues portrayed, reading cartoons can feel like looking through the photo albums of strangers, end quote. He contends that this has led scholars and researchers to either avoid writing about Israeli cartoons or to draw incorrect conclusions. These pitfalls are not exclusive to non-Israelis. They apply equally to anyone who is not native to the signs, symbols, textual references that are used. This is particularly relevant for navigating religious cartoons, in which the artists, religious or secular, at times speak a different and visual and verbal language with codes that provide meaning to insiders and which can prove to be barriers to outsiders. This difficulty speaks to the power of the political cartoon as a communication device that can rapidly convey meaning through the interplay of visual and verbal signifiers for certain groups, but if read by those not familiar, the meaning and intent can be lost. The four cartoonists' work that we've looked at today show a critical engagement with the Jewish holiday cycle and a willingness to use the holiday's themes, icons, and liturgy to craft a particular narrative that is reflective of how they interpret their political and social landscape during the pandemic. Their works, however, are not only social critiques. Like the illustrators of the famed illuminated manuscripts that I mentioned at the beginning, the holidays themselves are visually reimagined through the artwork that is created, which allows for new ways of understanding the observance and performance of rituals in contemporary Israeli society. And I'm going to stop there. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. Rangel. That was very, very interesting. And I know that we've already uh, kind of covered a couple comments that came in through the chat, but just want to open it up to see if anyone else would like to ask a question. Um, please feel free to either raise your hand or unmute and, uh, and we can get started with that. Don't be shy. Hi. Okay. Not to be obnoxious, but the Seleucid Empire, just to throw this out there, the Seleucid Empire was um, known for the elephants. And I think that there was something about um, elephants being on the coins for the Seleucid, you know, so uh, that's what I interpreted the elephant. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's how I read it too. I, Charka in general, and 
in my conversation with him, and I, I wrote a lot about Charka in the book, mm-hmm. he very intentionally is a non-political political cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's much more interested in commenting on society and on social values and religious values. In And I looked at, I don't have the number in front of me, but I looked at well over, in that three-year span, well over 150 cartoons just of Charka. Mm-hmm. And the number of times that he illustrated a politician, I could count on two hands. Yeah. Um, and that's what made the Netanyahu cartoon really stand out. Um, he's very transparent in conversation with me that he does not want to get he doesn't want to get into the muck and mire of political cartoons that um, when Shmuley, when Rabbi Shmuley and I and the people at Valley Beit Midrash and I were discussing what's, what's a topic. um, There are so many chapters in the book that are um, not controversial, but antagonistic because the political cartoonists, and I don't want to give off the impression that Israel's political cartoonists play nicely and friendly. Um, there are a number of chapters in the book that are extremely aggressive and extremely um, at times offensive, so much so that my I received permission from the press um, to include a trigger warning at the start of the book for a couple of the chapters that do deal with instances of violence and sexual abuse And that's not the topic that I wanted to be talking about here. Um, Mm -hmm. Those things exist as well in Israel, but what makes Shai Charka so unique Mm -hmm. is that he doesn't do anything like that. He's really, uh, he, the the word I have to describe him, and I spoke with him a few times, he's just very sweet. And he (laughs) just says like, he goes, that's not the game that I want to play. Mm -hmm. And he really wants to, do cartooning in a different way that doesn't have to be aggressive, vitriolic, confrontational. Um, it, it's a whole different world that Charka is living in. Um, I kind of and wondered with the, um, the, when he had the, you know, the paintbrush and everything though, was the freedom also in his ability to reach people through the paint, through his cartoons? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. He's, exceptionally interesting, fascinating person Um, in his work, some of which has been translated to English. So he is very honest about the fact that he lives in a West Bank settlement. He doesn't hide that at all, but he also has no problem criticizing the Israeli government when he thinks that it does not do right by Palestinians. Um, He is very progressive um, in his critique of religious leaders in his own community. Um, those are the things that Charka is much more interested in talking about than, than what he sees as politicians who would change jobs every six months. He's much more interested in talking about religious and social change. Thank you. Um, I see Lauren's hand is up. There we go. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Um, hello, fellow Trontonian. Hello. Um, hi. Uh, I'm in Midtown. Two, uh, two things. So one, as far as the elephant, as you and I know, we're not Americans. Not, I, it's very unlikely that an Israeli would even know that the elephant is a symbol of a Republican Party. Any more than if he had made the elephant orange, 
he would be referring to the NDP. And for you with, Americans, look up NDP. So right, that's the, it, Certainly someone like Charka, who is non-political. Um, th that's just not on his radar. There are other political cartoonists in Israel who are more visually aware in that sense, but that's just not the political cartooning landscape that Charka is living in. Um, and number two? Number two is, and I was really happy to see, I've lived in Israel, so I know how the Chagim are like so central to, to, um, to daily life in Israel. You feel it too. But did, did any of the completely secular um, cartoonists and, and completely secular papers, did, did they use that same kind of imagery? Did they bring in the Chagim in, into some of the imagery? Yeah, all of the three cartoons at the end were secular cartoonists. Oh, they were. Okay, I guess yeah. I missed yeah. that. Yeah, both of the Manishtana, the Why Is This Night Different, were secular cartoonists. And the new Pesach Seder plate from Michal Kishka, all three self-identify as secular Israelis. Thanks, which is neat because it shows, again, how Absolutely. integral Judaism That's is right. to Israel. I Thank you. In my original like vision for this session, there was like a third group. And then I realized really quickly I wasn't going to get to it, which is that Israel, Israel's ultra-Orthodox Haredi cartoonists also produce cartoons. And there's in, I think, three chapters of the book, I talk about Haredi cartoonists, um, including in the chapter on Chagim. They're doing a whole other thing, though, where if... The secular cartoonists are using text that every single Israeli is going to understand. The ultra-Orthodox cartoonists are using texts that are so hyper-focused and specific and speak just to their community that when we talk about like cartoons going like over people's heads, the average secular Israeli is not going to be able to parse what Oriel Pellet and Moti Heller, who are the two cartoonists that I use in the book, that their references are just well beyond the average secular Israeli. Um, and so using religious text is happening at all levels of the cartooning landscape in Israel, showing very different outcomes and ways of thinking about the holiday. Um, so like there's no Haredi cartoonist, ultra-Orthodox cartoonist who is drawing Zoom satyrs because they're not going on Zoom on holidays. Instead, their cartoons are much more traditionally religious in orientation. That they are orthodox texts is the best way. And that um, I self-identify somewhere in the modern orthodox camp that for me, I didn't get all of the references and I had to, I had to seek out help to understand where's the text coming from? What are the other ways of understanding it? Because that's, I am, ex I would say I am very, very, very well versed in Israeli society and do a lot of writing about Israeli society. The Haredi world is not my world. And as an outsider to that society, I needed the help of an insider to navigate the text, to make sure that I was fully getting it. Because that's how political cartoons work. They are insider texts. Thank you. Are there, are there any other questions before we wrap up? Just quickly. Okay. So um, that, the only thing that I was um, just going to add, like 
thinking about those that political cartoons, a lot of the time though are, um, uh, for lack of a better way to put it right now, those social um, way of, um, I guess, social catharsis, social coping skill or whatever. Would you like to speak to that? Yeah. So there, it was really interesting when I was speaking with the unaffiliated cartoonists who chose to not work at newspapers Mm -hmm. um, that they gave different reasons for why they want to do so. For some of them, it was that political cartooning is a side gig and they didn't want the pressure of having to do daily, weekly, monthly, that they teach, they do a whole bunch of other things and therefore um, this is a side hustle. (laughs) Well, there were others who, and the one I'm thinking of specifically is Michael Rosanoff, that his cartoons are so angry and aggressive that there's no newspaper that could publish what he's producing. And he was very honest that this is his outlet. He is a professional illustrator. He does commission work for people and he's happy to do what other people want, but cartooning is his one outlet and he wants no one to tell him, I can do this, I can't do that. And he just wants to put his work out there. Um, And in particular, his opposition is Netanyahu. um, And he has certainly the most aggressively anti-Netanyahu cartoonists of anyone in Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, What's really interesting, though, is that cartoonists on the left and the right happen to love him. They think that his work is exceptionally creative Mm -hmm. and that um, Reut Bortz, who is the illustrator of the cover image, is a Dati religious Israeli, that she loves Michael Rosanoff, and that they are friends and he is a mentor to her. That, But yeah, his cartooning is an opportunity for him to do editorializing, which is how I think that we need to think about political cartooning, that it's not the photograph, it is the editorial. Where, oh, sorry. Okay, I was just going to say, like, how is he, like, you're talking about how he's received, is he received in a kind of, um, it's an outlet for whoever is, is the people who are admiring him? Do you think that? Yeah, there's definitely um, echo chamber um, <laughs> of, like, who's following. So mm-hmm. part of the, and this is something that, I'm trying to remember who said it. Uri Fink, who is one of the longest serving political cartoonists in the country, said that there's been a real shift in the last five years in Israeli political cartooning, that once upon a time, and he works for Ma'ariv, a centrist newspaper, he said once upon a time, he would make his cartoon, he would send it off to the newspaper at the end of the day, it would see itself in the paper the next morning, and then boom, he would start to work on the next cartoon. And like, that was it. It was, it was, unidirectional, that he would illustrate, he'd never hear anything unless there was something wrong with the cartoon. But he said since he began posting his work on social media, it's totally shifted the way that cartooning is working, in which people are responding. And he is active on his social media in responding to the people who comment on his work. There are others like Guy Morad, who says, I posted on my social media media feeds so that more people can see it so that I can gain greater exposure. I have no interest 
in engaging with these people because they're either telling me that they love me and I don't need to respond to that, or they're telling me that they hate me and are angry at what I've done. And I don't need to spend my time on that either. Right. So there really is a mixed bag, but what all of them, and I was shocked when someone suggested to me, Asaf Gamzu, who is, I would say like the Israeli equivalent to me inside Israel, who's doing real consistent writing about Israeli cartoons and comics. Um, when I told him about the project, he goes, well, why don't you reach out to them? I'm sure they'd love to talk. And I said, they're not going to want to talk to me. And he goes, no, no, no. You're different than who they want, who, who reaches out to them normally. And like across the board, so interested in talking and having their work featured and getting to be included in something that drew attention to their work. And that not, I didn't pit anyone off against each other. <laughs> um, but thinking about their work in light of mm -hmm. bigger society that why are they all telling similar stories at the same time and, and choosing to focus on aspects of the news, especially the weekly cartoonists. Mm -hmm. um, there was real excitement of getting to have their voices heard. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Reingold. Um, I was going to put a link to your book in the chat for anyone who's interested. And, uh, and thank you so much. If there are no, just double check any other questions. We have like one minute left if someone wants to squeeze one in. <laughs> Otherwise, okay. All right, well then. Uh, real quick question, uh, real quick question. Did the Haredi political cartoonists even acknowledge Corona? Oh, yes. I mean, that's not. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, absolutely. Um, very much so. Uh, from the perspective of that, this is something that has inconvenienced. There, there was no, I didn't see examples of internal communal critique of why is our community behaving in a way that is different than many other communities. Instead, there was more reference to things like this is a plague from God um, or how has COVID changed the way that we celebrate things. Um, but it, there weren't examples of what I would say are like soul searching or critique of their own community. Um, and part of the answer for that would be, A, the cartoonist might not be interested in that, but there's tremendous editorial oversight over Haredi cartoonists. Um, everything they produce um, needs to be vetted by not only the editors, but a rabbinical advisory board. Um, very tightly monitored editorial oversight in the Haredi press, not just for cartoonists, it applies for authors and photographers and advertisers and things that would be critical in that way are not getting produced in mainstream Haredi press. That would be found more in blogs, which do exist in the Haredi community, um, but which are not really sanctioned by the community itself. 
All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Reingold, for, for joining us today. Um, I just want to let everyone know about our next program, which will be on Monday, July 18th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, please join us for Living on the Side of Life, an Interpretation of Jewish Living with Rabbi Dr. Yitz Greenberg. Um, so we hope that you can join us for that. And thank you all again for being here today. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.